It is always a pleasure to be here with you and worship uh, together. Uh, so thank you for the invitation, Alex. And thanks to all of you for your kind support for the Study Center. You are one of the congregations that helps keep us going. You uh, provide financially for us as well as pray for us and uh, pay attention to us. And we're very thankful for that. Love, love it when your students are a part of what we do as well or any faculty um, together. Uh, our programs, if you're not familiar with us, include uh, various things. We have classes. We have reading groups. Um, and we do host a coffee shop known as Pascal's Coffee House, which has become one of the places to be uh, in Gainesville, thanks to the students who run that shop. One of our reading groups is designed specifically for clergy and campus ministry leaders, as well as lay leaders in the churches. And you should know that your own Pastor Alex is one of the leaders of that group. Uh, the folks who participate in it have really owned it. They lead the discussions when we meet a couple times a semester, and Alex has led one just recently. It's become a really wonderful uh, source of community and fellowship, and I think of real engagement with tough issues um, that those of us in ministry face in our contemporary world. As you pray for us, I do ask that you would uh, keep us in mind. Uh, there are many challenges. They come in many forms. Um, we have some serious staff turnover this coming year, particularly in our coffee house with a new manager and many new baristas as we lose seniors and add new baristas to our staff. We're also involved in a building campaign right now, renovating uh, areas out front as well as completely demolishing our restrooms and renovating them this summer. Um, needless to say, building projects are great fun, um, full of... Uh, endless decisions and details, so pray for me as I sometimes function as general contractor, and that's one of the eight or ten plates I try to keep spinning in any given week. Um, but do pray for us. Um, there are a lot of people in that building these days. It's wonderful. The world has come, and so we literally have thousands of people through that building every week. Um, we are nothing but thankful for that, but as you might imagine, uh, the challenges come with that as well. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support in every form that it comes. One of the classes that we offer is what we call the director's class, and that's the one that I get the privilege of teaching each week because my own training is in uh, modern history. We sometimes do a class having to do with history or literature, contemporary cultural issues. But I also love to do classes in reading the scriptures. Um, and at the heart of that is a class we call simply Reading the Gospels. In that class, we keep all four gospel narratives in view at the same time. We put them alongside each other and we watch what happens. Needless to say, when we do that, there are challenges that emerge and we work through those challenges together. But there's also a wonderful richness that comes with it. One of the points of that class, and I repeat it often with the students, is when you run into these challenges and when you put the Gospels alongside each other and end up scratching your head over something, don't give up and close your Bible. Keep it open and read more carefully. Keep reading. What is Matthew's Gospel up to? Why does Matthew tell the story differently from Luke or Mark sometimes? What is John adding when he comes along and gives us a gospel that includes so much that is unique to that gospel? 
And I propose to you this becomes a wonderful, wonderfully rich study in the Gospels. The passage from our reading that we just heard from John's Gospel in chapter 12 is just the sort of reading we love to get into and read more carefully. It's that wonderful story that John tells us about on the eve of the triumphal entry in this little town called Bethany just outside Jerusalem that there is a dinner. Martha's there serving. Lazarus was there enjoying the meal. It is at the home. Excuse me, we don't know where the home is for the meal exactly. But in that evening, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, takes a pound, a lot, of very costly perfume of pure nard, pours it on Jesus' feet, and wipes his feet with her hair. Judas, we are told, raises a question as to why this wasn't sold and given to the poor. And Jesus says, let her alone. You always have the poor with me, and you should always care for them, lest you misunderstand that phrase. You always have the poor with you, and you will always have them to care for, but you do not always have me. Let her alone. This was meant that she should keep this perfume for the day of my burial and pour it out in this way. As we reflect over this, I do want to ask God to open our hearts to his word and his word to us. Almighty God, we do thank you for this record. Thank you for the picture that it gives us. May we be led this morning to come alongside Mary, to hear with her even the scriptures we've heard this morning that invite us to come to you and know your mercies poured out for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that Mary knew those mercies. Thank you that they draw us here again this morning. May we see Jesus more clearly and come again to know him more fully and to receive his mercies. We look to you in his name. Amen. Amen. So when you put this passage alongside the other Gospels, you have an interesting juxtaposition. Matthew and Mark also tell a story about an episode that looks very much like this, but has maybe a difference or two. So it raises a question for us as to whether the episode recorded in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 is the same episode as that recorded in John chapter 12. In Matthew and Mark, we are told that the dinner takes place in the home of Simon the leper. In John's account, we are not given a location, though one, if reading quickly, might think it's at the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. John doesn't actually tell us where it is. The woman remains unnamed, in Matthew and Mark, John identifies her as Mary. In Matthew and Mark, we are told she anoints Jesus's head. In John's narrative, we are told Mary anoints his feet. Perhaps most puzzling is that the episode in Matthew and Mark appears in the final week of Jesus' life after he has entered the city of Jerusalem John places it here just prior to Jesus entering Jerusalem. Perhaps we have two different episodes, strikingly similar, 
a few days apart, but two different episodes. I'm quite open to that possibility. But I am inclined to think that, in fact, these are the same episodes told slightly differently, with slightly different emphases, and placed at a different point of the narrative for good reasons on the part of these authors. Upon a careful reading, then, I am inclined to think that they are the same episode, but I will warn you, as I do my students, take anything I say with a grain of thought, a grain of salt, <laughs> and then a grain of thought as well, a nice slip up there, and go back to your Bibles and keep reading more carefully. But let me just note a couple of things that strike me about these records. One, as I say, the location is not really an issue. Matthew and Mark locate the dinner at the home of Simon the leper. John does not locate the dinner and notes that Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were all there, but it may even be that he notes it because it's not at their house, but they were there at the dinner. As to whether the woman anointed Jesus' head or his feet, the answer is probably yes. She is pouring out a lot of perfume here. This is hundreds of dollars in that day, hundreds of dollars worth of perfume, more than enough to cover Jesus from head to toe. The sequence is probably what is most puzzling. Why would Mark and Matthew insert the episode in the final week of Jesus' life when John suggests that it actually happened on the eve of his entrance into Jerusalem? It is not unusual for gospel writers to put things out of order and to rearrange the events for some particular good reason. Matthew particularly does that a lot. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all present the same picture of Jesus. They all present him as being the Messiah or Christ for whom Israel had hoped. Luke arranges his material chronologically. Matthew arranges his material around his argument. And so when he gives us events in Jesus' life, and you look at them carefully, you will often see he is very shrewdly and deliberately developing an argument, and therefore putting things in a different order because he has a different approach to the material. This sort of thing happens frequently in the Gospels, and I encourage you to relax with it. What's going on in Matthew and Mark at this point is that both of these gospel writers are developing the tension in this final week, the tension between Jesus and the temple leadership, and it is coming to a head. A critical development as they develop that tension is Judas's decision to go to the leadership and say, I'm ready to hand this guy over to you. That's what's happening in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. It is at that point that Matthew and Mark both tell us the story about the fact that there was a dinner that took place in which there was this anointing of Jesus' feet and Judas saw it and didn't like it at all. It was decisive in his decision to betray Jesus. And so the writers include the story there because it fits in the narrative as they are developing that narrative of tension. John comes along 
on the other hand, and places it where I think it actually happened, in Bethany, just before Jesus enters the city. I think then that we probably have two or three different accounts of the same episode, um, two in, one in Matthew, one in Mark, and one in Luke. I will additionally say, I think it would be very odd for there to be two such similar events with the same basic scene, the same actions by a particular woman, the same response from the disciples, the same comment from Jesus, and a very specific type of nard being specified in both Mark and John. Well, when you put these episodes together then, and you see them as a single event, what happens here on this evening becomes even more striking than it is in any one of the accounts alone. Here's the picture that emerges. We're on the eve of Jesus entering Jerusalem. He's in this little town of Bethany. He has raised recently a man from the dead in that little town whose name is Lazarus. Simon the leper, who lives in that little town, holds a dinner party. At the dinner party, first of all, we've got a host who is known as Simon the leper. He's not a leper anymore. He wouldn't be having a dinner party if he were still a leper. But he's known as Simon the leper. What can we assume? He's Simon the leper that got healed by Jesus. <laughs> and his life has begun again, and he is showing hospitality. So we got one really good story to tell at this dinner, right? And then guess what? We got a guy named Lazarus at the same table. <laughs> He's got a story to tell, too. He spent four days being dead. And God raised him. And Jesus came and said, Lazarus, arise. And Lazarus is alive and at this dinner table as well. By the end of the evening, we got another great story. Lazarus' sister, Mary, comes in, takes an extremely expensive jar of perfume nard, pours it all over him, and then at his feet, wipes his feet with her hair. The disciples respond, and notably, Jesus, Judas responds, this is not right. We should have sold this and given it to the poor. Jesus then says, I'm all for caring about the poor. Don't miss that. But you've only got me for a few days more here. And it is right. Let her do this. She has saved this perfume for this moment for my burial. Mary then joins a lineage of those who bring perfume to Jesus. Matthew, I think, emphasizes the fact that she pours it on Jesus' head because Matthew is all about the kingship of Jesus. This is the king being anointed. This is the king coming triumphantly into Jerusalem. This is the king to whom Magi brought perfume at his birth because he was the king. John brings our emphasis to Mary as she goes to Jesus' feet and worships him there as the one who saves her from sin. That comes into focus particularly when we bring our fourth gospel into view, Luke's narrative. Luke also tells a story about a woman who comes to Jesus and anoints his feet and kisses his feet 
and wipes them with her hair. That episode in Luke takes place back in chapter 7. It's clearly a different episode from the one we've just been looking at. Happens much earlier. It's in the home of a Pharisee. His name happens to be Simon, but it's clearly a different Simon. At that dinner, we're told in Luke chapter 7, a woman of the city comes in who is known notoriously as a sinner. She comes in, brings an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and kiss his feet and anoint them with the ointment. The Pharisee looks on and says, oh my word, if this Jesus were any kind of rabbi at all, he would know what sort of woman this is and he wouldn't let this happen. Jesus, to the contrary, welcomes the woman and says to, the, to Simon, Simon, let me, let me tell you a little story, Simon. There were two people who had a debt. One had a great big debt and the other one a small debt. Both debts were forgiven. Simon, who's going to be more appreciative of that forgiveness? And Simon says, well, the one with the greater debt. Jesus says, yes, you're right. And then he points to this woman. He says, she has come, and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she's wet my, her, my feet with her tears. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. He who is forgiven loves little. And then he turns to the woman, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I submit to you that when Mary came and settled at Jesus' feet and did exactly the same sort of thing as this woman that we've just learned about in Luke chapter 7, Mary was identifying herself with that woman. Mary was coming to the feet of Jesus and saying about herself, I too am a woman with great sin. This is the mature, exemplary, deeply spiritual Mary who is the example for all of us, but she knows herself to be one who has sinned greatly and she knows Jesus is the one who forgives sin and grants peace. So in Matthew and Mark, she comes and anoints him as king. In John, she comes and anoints him as savior who forgives. Finally, one last piece of the puzzle, also from the Gospel of Luke. Do you remember where we first meet Mary? She and Martha are having Jesus over for lunch. It's a famous passage. Martha's working, very busy, getting the meal ready. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and in Martha's view, doing nothing. So she comes to Jesus and she says, will you please tell my sister to get up and help me in the kitchen? I need your help, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, Martha. I love you, Martha. Chill. Relax. <laughs> We're good on lunch. Mary's chosen the better thing. Come join her. Come sit at my feet and listen and learn. In that occasion, we have Mary sitting at Jesus' feet to hear him speak, 
Today, we find Mary at Jesus' feet again. This time, she is kneeling. She is remembering his death even before it happens. I feel silly saying it, but I commend Mary to you. <laughs> Let her be the example to you that she has in all seriousness become to me. Let her, let her be your example, both in sitting at Jesus' feet to listen to him and kneeling at his feet to remember him in his death. She invites us this morning to join her in these acts of worship, to bring our most treasured possessions, ourselves, and spill them extravagantly at Jesus' feet. She invites us to settle there, to listen and to remember. I encourage you then, as you come to kneel this morning at this rail before his table, remember that you kneel before Jesus, who serves you this meal. Let us then come with Mary, admitting with her that we are sinners who have sinned greatly and who delight to hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Almighty God, here is the Kyrie eleison, quite literally. Ah, Lord have mercy. We say it with Mary and delight to receive that mercy here again this morning. May you be praised and honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.